Thanks for downloading. This is Sport in the Fields, and we're in association with Aldi UK, the official supermarket partner of Team GB. So it's episode two of Sport and the Fields, the brand new podcast running throughout what would have been the Olympic Games. It's a podcast for the soul, really, the sporting soul, to stir the emotions in all of us. Because that's really what sport's all about, isn't it? I'm Jonathan Overend, and I'm bringing together, well, bringing back together, some of the most familiar voices in UK sport. People who've been to many, many Olympic Games. Because when you're there, you hear things, you see things, you meet incredible people, you watch incredible sport. And really, this is just an opportunity for us to share some of those stories and tales with you. Hopefully you've subscribed. If you haven't already, do so now and you'll get a brand new episode for every day of what would have been Tokyo 2020. Well, we're talking icons. This is the iconic episode. And uh, to help me, I've brought along someone I really respect in the industry, actually, because she asks the questions, whether it's uh, by the side of the athletics track or on the field at the end of a bruising rugby international. She doesn't make bland statements. She actually asks incisive questions. It's a little bit of a dying art, I think, in, in our industry, and I'm not too sure why. But she does it, and she's one of the best in the business at it. It's Sonia McLaughlin. Hello. 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 I'm not sure Eddie Jones would agree with you. Well, you see, that's the thing. That's the thing. Whether you're Warren Gatland or, or Eddie Jones, you might be asked a difficult question. You might get the hump. You might you might stomp off. But I bet you, I bet you they have a hundred times more respect for you yeah. for asking a tough question than a namby-pamby statement, right? Mm, I, I would like to think so. I, I'm hardwired, Jonathan. It's who I am. I, you know, I was taught back in the day who, what, why, when, how. And uh, it's just, it's part of my fabric. It's part of my DNA. I want to know what's going on in their minds. I want mm. to know the answer to some of these questions. And unless you really drill down into it, it's unlikely you're really going to get the response you want. So yeah, I do like to ask questions. Uh, sometimes they have proved tricky and difficult and the person on the end of the microphone not doesn't always appreciate it. Um, that but probably yeah, means it's... it's a good interview though, <laughs> if you get to that point. Uh, one can only hope so. <laughs> First time I met Sonia was when I just joined BBC Radio Sports Room and you, you, were, a, you were a producer at the time, weren't you? Before you became a, a top yeah. interviewer and broadcaster, you, you were one of the, the top producers. You were producing the, the Sunday afternoon programme at the time and it was, it was kind of one of my first days and I remember getting in 10 o'clock prompt on that Sunday morning and you said right you're going to Lancaster Gate today you're going to Lancaster Gate because it's the, the FA Cup draw or whatever it was and uh, and you need to supervise it and then you was I quite to brusque Kelly about afterwards. how I told you you were going to Lancaster Gate <laughs> something like that and then you you pulled you said you have brought a tie haven't you and here was this kid barely out of uh, out of primary school <laughs> rocking up for one of his first shifts in London. But I've always remembered that because, of course, you know, in those days, you wouldn't you wouldn't be seen anywhere, would you? Really, without a without a tie on, if you were a no, man in, uh, I mean, I, in, in sports journalism. No, and and indeed, you know, being a woman in a in a in a man's world, it was. Um, it's quite interesting when you go off to news conferences and I know we'll talk about Olympics and it's slightly different, but, you know, you go off to the standard news conference and in those days, being the only woman sometimes at Twickenham, you were very keen to sort of fit in and not stick out like a sore thumb. And when you, it was very obvious you were the only woman there that wasn't serving coffee to the mm. assembled people. And yeah, so I, so I would always be, you know, wearing a suit and, 
um, wanting to desperately fit in. So suit for me was always something that I hope would almost make me invisible because oh, I didn't I didn't want to stand out in the early days of being a broadcaster in that world because I felt very conscious of being a woman in that environment. It's changed mercifully. And um, I bet you from that day on, you you didn't, you always had a tie in your drawer at work, right? <laughs> so true. But now it's kind of frowned <laughs> upon, isn't it? So <laughs> well, I can't remember yes. the last time I, I mean, wore a tie. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you a very brief story because I do remember a Six Nations meeting once where we were all, the whole team on from TV was assembled and sat around this huge boardroom table at Television Centre at White City. And yeah. I promise you, we were there to talk about editorial content and how to improve the Six Nations. And we must have spent about an hour discussing whether or not the assembled male talent should or should not wear ties. And it actually, the the tiebreaker, excuse the pun, came down to the fact that Keith Wood in those days had such an enormous neck. He was a (laughs) captain of Ireland, a a famous captain of Ireland, a British and Irish lion, but he had the most enormous neck. He's slim down now and looks fabulous in a suit and tie but in those days he could not wear a tie for love nor money without couldn't looking physically like, get it on no? no a he just couldn't fit it and he just looked like an awful <laughs> nightclub bouncer so there we go and that's so the bbc's decision made for it it was it was we are not wearing the men are not wearing Funny. ties go figure but you went to the olympics in atlanta I in did. 1996 and we're going to be talking olympics throughout this series and you're a wonderful person to have part of it because you have been to every summer olympic games right since 96 i have that either makes me really good at my job potentially or old i don't know <laughs> i don't know which so one six, six summer but, olympics yeah i've been so there can't be many people Sonia, can match that yeah, it's been it's been extremely special, I have to and say. And so many iconic moments. Oh gosh. Yeah. I have been privy to some of the great iconic moments. You know, I was in Sydney in 2000 when as a reporter then mm. when Steve Redgrave won his fifth gold medal and I can I can remember being at the side of the lake. Mm. And it was it was just there was red, white and blue everywhere. Could he haul his body through six minutes of intense endurance sport one last time, obviously along with his fellow crew members in Pinson, Foster and Cracknell as well. And to win it by, I think it was like half a second yeah. It was, from the Italian crew. It was, it was just one of those moments that you think, wow, what a privilege to have, to have been there. You know, I was thinking as well of Sally Gunnell in 92, uh, Kelly Holmes, obviously famously in, in 2004. It's the emotion of it, isn't it? The, the, that emotional moment when she crossed the line. And, and you know, some people have been asking me, why, why have you called the series Sport in the Fields? You know, it is all about the feels. It's about the emotion. That is, sport is not about stats, is it? You know, sport has become this thing. It's all about the stats and the data. And OK, that, that's fine. And, and it's there and you can do what you like with it. But what it's really about is raw emotion and what oh, it well, does I, to you your know, soul. Yeah. I'm, I will freely admit to have shed a tear watching moments at the Olympics because you cannot fail to get caught up in the moment. Yeah, to, to, to have borne witness to some of these moments is, is an enormous privilege and it's great that we get the opportunity to, to retell some of it as well with this podcast. Absolutely. So let's tell one of those stories then, one of those iconic moments, one of those iconic nights. It was the 25th of September 2000. 
a night which will forever live in Olympic history. Cathy Freeman was running for herself primarily, but she was also running for her Aboriginal heritage, and she was running for the whole of Australia. She was the face of the Sydney Olympics, and this was her night. And we're going to retell that story in the company of someone who not only was there that night, not only was in the race, but ended up sharing the podium with her because she won bronze in that women's 400-metre final. Catherine Murray. Hi, Kath. Hello, everybody. Hello. How nice. How nice to speak to people. <laughs> I know, isn't it? Like-minded, sporty people who are, are missing it as much as me. But I'm very well, thank you, guys. Very well. Oh, how's lockdown been for you, Kath? Oh, gosh, it's Groundhog Day, Jonathan, isn't it? I think, you know, what are we now, over four months in? Um, I've had my children every single day since they finished school, which obviously in one part's a joy because we're spending lots of time together. But on the other side, it's hard going. It is hard going, but um, we're fine. We're fine. I'm just, just missing working myself. I'm missing the identity of... Catherine, not the mummy at the moment, and I'm just dying to get back working. But we're all safe and we're all healthy, which is the main thing. I wonder what's harder, Kath, homeschooling or running a 400 metres in an Olympic final? <laughs> There's only one answer hands there. Hands down, hands down, Sonj, homeschooling, my days. It's, I, I've, I've definitely not missed my vocation, uh, vocation in education. Um, I've definitely learned that it's a job that, like most people's jobs, is harder than it looks, right? But no, it, it's been challenging, of course course it has and my children are of different ages and in different years and therefore the content is different but you know what they have been fantastic which is the main thing they've got each other and we're doing something every day and that's the main thing there's what there's one thing I would like to know before we go on actually uh, Jonathan is I wonder Kath has your son still got the mascot from the London 2012 Olympics that I bought for him. He has indeed, Sanj. I was thinking about oh. that. I know, and he still loves it. And obviously it's been passed down to his sister, who's three years younger. My son was only just over a year old in London 2012 and myself and Sonia obviously were part of the same team and she bought this, the big mascot and he's, he's been besotted with it since 2012 and it still sits in our lounge in the play corner as pristine as it was when you kindly bought it him, Son. So it was very, very Because I think when happy. I bought it for him, the mascot was actually bigger than your son. Oh, 100%. He wasn't even, he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't even 18 months old in London 2012 and he was looking at this thing like, wow, this is bigger than me and I love it. So so no, it's still going very, very strong and it's a, it's a, it's a permanent part of the family, Sonj, and it has been since 2012. <laughs> but we have to go back 20 years, dare we go back 20 years for the highlight of your first life when, of course, you won bronze... Uh, well, or should we say Cathy Freeman won gold on Catherine Merry night because you, you won bronze in the women's 400 metres. And we've been talking, myself and Sonia have been talking about iconic Olympic moments and, and there are so many to choose from. And you, you were there and you were winning a medal on one of the most iconic Olympic nights. How do, how do you reflect on it now? Oh, gosh. Firstly, it's, it's hard to believe, isn't it? It's 20 years ago. Um, but in terms of reflection, Jonathan, it, it's like it was yesterday. I think it's, I think we all have moments in our lives in whatever environment that we can just look back on with crystal clear clarity. And I can literally close my eyes and go through every single part of that race on the 25th of September, like it was moments ago rather than 20 years. Um, but as you... Good, because we'll get onto that in a second. <laughs> 
yeah, but you, you can, can't you? You can think of something yeah. that you've done where it doesn't matter how much time elapses. You can just instantaneously take yourself back. Um, but even now, 20 years later, I, you know, you, people like you there, Jonathan, set it up and say, this was one of the most iconic races in Olympic history and you were part of it. And I sit here go, flipping neck, yeah, I was. And, um, and, and, and I still feel blessed and I still feel extremely privileged to have just been in that one moment in time where everybody just seemed to stop, um, not just the billions around the world, but the 112,000 in the stadium, and to have one little lane of eight lanes, and Cathy spoke to me about it since and said, there's only seven other people in the world that really understand that night because there was eight of us in the race that truly get it. And I'm, I'm very blessed and lucky to look back and think, blimey, and now I can't even run for a bus or play, <laughs> play any sports with my children without either pulling my car or being totally out of breath. So I look back and think, blimey, I did that. And I, I'm, I'm extremely proud of what I did um, and, and just really lucky to have, have got myself in that position. Well, it was, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because, you know, Cathy Freeman, you forget just what enormous pressure she was under because she was she was the face of the Sydney 2000 Olympics. You know, there had been all that chatter in the build-up. There's always the, the chatter ahead of an Olympic game. Who's going to light the Olympic cauldron? And you were thinking, well, it's got to be Cathy Freeman. And then you're thinking, well, hang on a minute. No, it can't be. She's, she's going to race in, in, in going at the biggest moment in her career on home soil. She's going to be raced. She can't like... Because then there was that another iconic moment when there she was in her all-white bodysuit with the waters cascading down. And she stood there sort of with a straight back and with the eyes of the world on her and... She lit the Olympic flame. So she'd already had that moment where she was the focus of yeah. so much attention. And then, of course, it came down to actually... You forget, don't you, Kath? You know, the 400 metres, it's not just about that final. It's about going through the rounds and keeping your nerve during the rounds when things can go wrong, even on a one-lap race... And so, you know, were you aware of the kind of the pressure building on her as, as, the, as the women's 400 metres unfolded? Oh, totally, totally, Sonj. I think the whole, the whole build-up for Cathy started from when basically Sydney were announced that they were going to have these Olympic Games. You know, we all remember back to London being awarded the 2012 Games some years before. And it was the same for Sydney. They get awarded the Games and then all of a sudden as a nation, whether it's individual sports fans or the media, start looking at who's going to be their medal chances. Um, and Cathy Freeman was the only gold medal prospect in track and field. There was nobody else. She didn't share that pressure with anybody else. Um, so in the years literally leading up to that year of 2000 the pressure was slowly and surely building on Kathy and everybody knew that and none more so than Kathy herself you know I raced her in the world championship final in 1999 it was a title that Kathy won I came fifth in that final. And even then, you'd go through the mix zone with the likes of yourself, Sonj, or other reporters, and they will pepper in the questions about Sydney next year. You know, these Olympics are coming soon, Cathy. So she couldn't move a muscle, do a race, do a training session, do any forms of press or anything without being talked about in Sydney 2000. So the pressure, as you say, was absolutely huge. And she carried it all on her own in track and field. The Paul Haddian thought they had other stars that could deliver medals in other events, but nobody 
um, bared the brunt of that in track and field apart from Cathy. And we were all very aware of the pressure that she was under. But we often talk about pressure, Kath, as a negative, don't we? And I, I just wonder, because she must have thought to herself when she was asked to do the opening ceremony, as Sanj described, she must have thought, do I, do I need this? Do I want this? Will it help me? Will it hinder me? And ultimately, she decided to do it. So she must have thought it was a, a good thing. Do you think the pressure, in a way, worked in her favour? The thing that worked in her favour, Jonathan, was the, the mindset and the mentality and the personality makeup of Cathy Freeman. If when you, when you know Kathy, who I've done, I've been racing against Kathy Freeman since junior days, you know, matches in Horsham when an Australian team used to fly over and we were 17, 18 years old. Myself, Donna Fraser, who was fourth in the final, and Kathy had been racing against each other for a long time. And to know Kathy individually off the track, she's so laid back. I think after the Olympic final, she said, Look, I'm just this simple thing who loves to run. You know, she just loved her running and her kind of Letting all of everything just go over her head with the personality type that she was, was the biggest, the biggest plus in her favour in terms of dealing with all that pressure and all that expectation. She focused on nothing else but running and running well. And that's what helped her. Um, and she was by far, let's not, you know, let's not forget, no one was going to beat her. I tried, <laughs> but no one was going to beat Cathy. She, she was the best in the world. She was defending her Olympic silver medal. She was the world number one. She was the world champion. It was Cathy's medal to win. And with that, because we know as sports people, comes confidence. Um, so, no, she was just in the right place at the right time with the right amount of talent and skill, the right amount of drive and motivation to deliver the, the, one of the best performances that she ever has. And, and yes, it worked in her favour for many reasons. And I don't think she could, Sonj, pass up that opportunity of lighting the flame in your home Olympics. Wow. You, you, can't, you, you, re you couldn't pass that up, could we? If you get asked to do that, what an honour. We talk about iconic moments, don't we? I mean, we can't, in the terms of the Cathy Freeman story, you can't escape her cultural identity and, and her background and the fact that she, she was she was Aboriginal. And, you know, for her to stand there in, at such a huge moment for Australia, for, for Sydney, the Olympic movement, for herself, but also for her cultural ancestry. We never sat around and, and talked about it because it was kind of taken as a given because, you know, when everybody knows, you know, when everybody knows something, you don't have to kind of have a conversation about mm. something. But it was always a real 50-50 split for Cathy in terms of the heritage that she has. And that's why she'd take you know, multiple flags with her when she could around, when she'd win gold medals at events. You know, she was very, very proud. Her family were all, as we know, in the stadium that night, her mum and her brothers and everybody. And as you say, Sonja, it was a massive platform that everybody was fully aware of. And she didn't talk about it outside of it because it was just everybody knew that that's what she was kind of running for and how much it meant to her. This is Sport on the Fields, in association with Aldi UK, official supermarket partner of Team GB. I'm Jonathan Overend, alongside Sonia McLaughlin, and we're in conversation with Catherine Merry, Olympic bronze medalist. And I don't know about you, but I want to know more about Horsham. Don't you, Sonia? <laughs> I want to know about Horsham. Oh. Coming from Horsham to Sydney. To, have you ever been to Horsham? <laughs> I have. Oh. Um, I, I don't think I've ever been to It's a beautiful part of the world. Um, and I'm trying to remember where the athletics track is, but I'm, I'm not sure I can. But presumably, Kath, we're talking sort of basic club, kind of middle of nowhere, 
not many people around. Tell, tell us about it. Oh, it, what we used to do back in the day, they still do it now within obviously British athletics is we have obviously the two-tier system as everybody, you know, we have juniors and we have seniors, right? Well, that's what it was mm. when I was growing up. Um, and basically we used to have these international matches. So you'd become a junior international, you'd run for the British team in the under 20 age group and we'd have these kind of triangular matches. So you'd have a Great Britain team um, against a Australian team or a, a, a world team or any other country that wanted to send athletes over and have a competition and we used to have these little meetings and matches at junior international level in all these different places and Horsham was one of them so Kathy had come over with her Australian team and run 100 and 200 because that's that's obviously what she used to run at the time and then obviously I used to run 100 and 200 so we just do these little junior international meets around the world together because we had our junior championships our world junior championships and obviously European junior championships so I don't remember much about Horsham, not going to lie, but I, I remember my junior athletic days. I did six years as a junior international. I started for GB at 13. So I had six years on the Great Britain junior team. So me and Cathy raced a lot over the years in the lead up to our world junior championships. Myself, Cathy Freeman, Marion Jones, Donna Fraser, all these names. And then we'd go into the senior age group. And then there we were in the year 2000, myself, Donna and Cathy. <laughs> smiling and, you know, having a good laugh in an Olympic finals. Incredible thing, incredible journey that you should go on that journey with all, with all those people, with friends, you know, over so many years. Take us to the day. You know, these are long days, aren't they? They're long days and you know what's coming. <laughs> T- take us to that day. What, what do you remember about it in the, in the camp? moving to the stadium, you know, the hours before, if you like. <laughs> it's funny, Jonathan, because it's a long day, but then it's a long week, a long month and a long year <laughs> before, because once that date is setting stone, you know what day an Olympic final is for you. So it was always going to be the 25th of September 2000 and you work towards it. And you're right. And Sond mentioned it earlier. It's not just about the one race. You know, we had four rounds in four days, which major championships don't do anymore. They like to put a little bit of a rest day in between. But we had a first round, second round, semi and a final in consecutive days but we were an eight o'clock race um, in the evening and you're right the day of, of that Sydney final you're literally just sitting there twiddling your thumbs and I just kept myself busy Jonathan I was out the village I was spending time with my coach and I think the worst part of the day was actually when that two or three hours had finished early very early afternoon midday and I had to go back into the village on my own and my coach took me back to the village and he said, right, off you go then. And I'll, 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 uh, I'll, uh, I'll uh, see you on the other side. And I walked back into the village and thought, oh, no, it's getting closer. Then you start to get a bit more twitchy because all of a sudden you're running out of time. And you've had, you've had months and years to prepare for this. And, and then you get on the bus. And, and every, every single element, guys, is in your mind is this is it. This is the bus journey to the stadium for the Olympic final. Am I going to go home on this bus disappointed in a few hours' time or am I going to be happy? And you kind of microanalyze everything, but you do everything as you've done before to the t- same time scale. You have to be good to go. You have to be good to go. And, Kath, what was the answer to the question you potentially asked yourself on the bus about am I going to be going home potentially disappointed or not did you have any inkling as to how that race might go for you a hundred percent I I've I've said this previously and somebody laughed at me once when I said it I went to win the thing you know I I I I, I thought I had half a chance do you know what I mean I wasn't I wasn't going into the final 
thinking, oh, you know, I, I can I can make up the numbers here. I'd ran well decently through the rounds. Um, I got myself in a position, and I thought I can definitely medal here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give this everything I've got. And if anyone's going to beat me, they're going to have to run really well to do it. And I was very confident in my own ability because I didn't have the pressure that Kathy had. Everybody was focused on Kathy. Kathy was supposed to win it. The disappointment and shock would be if Kathy Freeman didn't win it and who was going to be the person that could upset the party. And I was determined to make sure that I was I had a good go at that um, because I genuinely believed I was in good enough shape to actually have a pop. And at 300 metres in the final, we were all in a straight line and I was in the mix, but my wheels fell off first of the three of us who won the medal. No, no. <laughs> you know, we're talking about athletic excellence here, but you can't escape and talking about Cathy Freeman without mentioning what she chose to wear that evening. Because one of my <laughs> overriding memories of that race is when the camera was going along... At the, towards the very end, just as you're going to your blocks, and she zipped up that all-in-one bodysuit, and the hood went up, and it was almost like she was saying, "Okay, I'm ready now." Did you just take a one look at her on the start line and go, "Right, you're just showing off now"? <laughs> Everybody was surprised because you know you you walk round, you get your first whistle once you put your you know you've got to your lane assignment, and then you get you basically the majority of your tracksuit starts to come off, and then you get a second whistle, and no one really paid any attention to Kathy who's in lane six because at that point, as you say, the hood hadn't gone up, so it just looked like some kind of green and silver Australian coloured like kind of all in one suit but without the hood and then then the hood comes on and I was in lane three so I did a double take across I like looked and I looked back and I looked again I went what the hell are you wearing what 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 is this is this this is this is kind of special and I thought wow okay so but then I got my focus back obviously but yeah most definitely it was a kind of OK, you, you, you're kind of going for this big time because, firstly, you can't wear something like that and not, not win, win because you just look stupid. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a bit like that, Michael Johnson and his golden spikes, isn't it? It was like yeah, only you, one you, person could get away with wearing those. Yeah, you, <laughs> and, if you're going to wear you have the that. talent to back it up, haven't you? Exactly, or else everybody just thinks you look stupid. Um, but no, it, but Kathy said afterwards she's never, she hadn't worn it before in training or in competition. Um, she was wow, very lucky. That's that, a bold move. It was, and it, and it was clearly, obviously, you know, psychology wise led. And I think it was her looking at in, for a way to just put herself into herself fully. It, it was a kind of wow. Okay, you're you're going for this in a big way, and it did take a couple of us by surprise that she actually wore that. But that's what most people remember about the race on. She's that suit. People go, "Were you in that Olympic final with the woman with the spacesuit?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, that, yeah." She had a spacesuit on. She looked great. Kind of, she was Flo esque wasn't she? Like twenty yeah. years after. Now you see, if you if your thoughts there on the start line had come out of your mouth, Kath, you might have you might have rattled her to the point where you you, you could have upgraded. <laughs> Your medal. I don't know. <laughs> she probably wouldn't have heard me though. She had a hood on at this point, Jonathan. So probably well, had nobody some... could hear anything, as you say. I mean, that's the point. The sound. When you watch the race back, as as you can do, obviously, on on YouTube. You know, it's astonishing the noise. Okay, when you're introduced, but from the moment the gun goes, it, it's relentless. It's like the whole of Australia is is cheering from that moment. How, how conscious of that were you as you were as you were running the straights and taking on the bends 
Oh, 100%. 100%. There's never been another race that I ran since I was 10 years old where I can physically remember hearing a crowd erupt when a gun goes. You don't normally hear that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but the speed in which the crowd went to silence when the obviously the starter was calling us to our marks was was astonishing it was like you could hear a pin drop instantaneously and then obviously the the contrast of that when the gun went was just this huge wall of noise and it literally you're coming at your blocks going wow Mm. okay okay this is i've never experienced this before and then you run a top bend and you come into the home straight then everything goes silent because you're just trying to stay on your feet because you're so tired but no that the noise is something jonathan that i remember vividly just up and down up and down and being absolutely overwhelming and i've never experienced or hadn't experienced anything like that before or did afterwards it's easy to forget actually that there were two british athletes in that final because it was your your good self catherine but of course it was donna fraser as well and you've mentioned when you came off that final bend into the home straight there was a wall a line of athletes you know you were right in contention donna fraser by contrast was way off the pace yeah. Until it looked like she had been fired out of a catapult <laughs> in the last 50 metres. And I, I've watched the race back because I knew you were go- I was going to chat to you. And I just thought, hang on a minute. Where's Donna Fraser come from? And she was a tall athlete. She was coming for these, you. Had, it looked like she had, like, you know, 54-inch legs. You know, she's just really tall and rangy athlete. Were you aware at all that she was gaining on you? No, not at all. Really? No, not at all, because Donna was in lane two, as you say, and I was in three. Um, I was fully aware that myself, Lorraine Graham of Jamaica, who picked up the silver, and then Kath, who's outside me, and Kathy in lane six, We, the three of us were the ones, as you say, that came off the top bend at 300 metres in a straight line. And then we were just holding on for dear life, where Kathy then showed her class and started to pull away. But no, I had no idea where Donna was. Um, and... I've said this previously, I was lucky enough to execute at that moment in time my perfect race plan. I had never run under 50 seconds before, before that Olympic final. And I managed to do that with a near perfect race at that time. And Donna will look back on the race and think that wasn't my near perfect race because I didn't I didn't execute it in the way that I should have to potentially have been on the podium. Um, but you only have 49 seconds to do it and you only get one chance. Mm. Um, but I wasn't aware of anybody else um, coming, going. Um, <laughs> I, remember Anna, I remember Anna Guevara, the Mexican. Oh, yeah. She, was, she, was, she missed a medal. I think she came fifth behind Donna. And all I remember is her just ranting and raving afterwards because she was devastated because she was convinced she was going to get a medal. Um, uh, I remember that emotion and, and Lorraine Graham just crying from when we crossed the finish line till probably the end of October because <laughs> she, she, was, she was so happy. Me and Kathy were quite concerned about her because she cried through the mix zone, the press conference and then onto the podium. And it's like, yep, yep, uh, Lorraine's still crying. And Donna's like, and, and Kathy's like, yeah, I know. She was so <laughs> overwhelmed with her national record. And Kathy didn't even bat an eyelid. You had no emotion from Kathy. She was just relieved above anything else to have delivered what she 
hope that she would. I, I wonder what your emotion was as well. Oh, Kath. well, yeah, it was a personal best, wasn't it, at the time? Yeah, exactly. I'd never ran under fifty seconds. You couldn't previously. do anymore. I, I, what a phenomenal achievement! Look, I know we talked about Kathy Freeman a lot in this conversation, and it's it's, you know, it's it's not only why we're why you're here. You won a bronze medal at the Olympic Games on an iconic night. It, it's a f- phenomenal it achievement. Is. And, and I bet that medal is is your proudest possession, isn't it? Beyond your children, it is, Jonathan. It's 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 it is. Of course, it's special. It was life defining. It was my first and only full year of four hundred meter running, because I'd only just moved up to the four hundred meters, and I obviously got injured the year after in two thousand and one. So I only ever had one full year. So my first year to win an individual medal was very special, um, and emotions came out for me on the podium. Um, mm. Because it had been a long, it had been a long journey for me from nine and a half, ten years old to to that point. But I think my emotions were summed up when when the race had finished. Kathy sat on the track, exhausted mentally and physically. She took her hood off. Uh, Donna went and had a few words with her. I went and had a few words with her. I can't remember what I said, but it was along the lines of "You are amazing. You deserve it." Oh, I'm going to cry. Um, I'm so Aww. proud of you. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. I think Lorraine Graham was still crying with joy at this point at the finish line. I don't know where Lorraine went. So talking of crying, there's a couple of things I want to ask you about the podium. Um, First of all, watching it back, the anthem's playing, and it's a great anthem, isn't it? Advance Australia Fair. And on that night, the whole of Australia was singing it loud and proud with Cathy Freeman. I don't know about you, Sonia, sometimes when I'm feeling like crying for whatever reason, I end up laughing as almost like a default mechanism to stop myself... There's lots of heavy breathing going yeah, on, isn't there? To, to, to of... stop yourself crying, you kind of let out this <laughs> really sort of pathetic <laughs> laugh. And I, I think you're in between those two emotions on the podium, Catherine Mary. Tell, tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, I think... Uh, that was a funny one, actually, because, like I say, the whole when we were walking out towards the the podium, obviously the crowd once again started to get excited because now it was party time, right? Um, and Kathy's waving to everybody; she's trying to see where her mum is. I'm literally eyes darting everywhere to try and take pictures in my mind of every single aspect of it. I'm trying to internalise it so I can keep it in my memory forever. Lorraine Graham is still crying as we walk towards the podium. So me and Kathy are kind of a little bit distracted with everything else going on. And I'm just thinking, this is just fantastic. I was over the moon. And then I did I have I so I was happy. And then, yeah, you're right. I've got a picture of my study, actually, as I'm talking to you guys behind me on the podium where my eyes are crinkled up and I'm crying and I'm trying to, like, not look like I'm crying and a little bit of laughing. You're right, Jonathan. You're kind of like, oh, my God, Kathy's not crying. And that was the thing for yes, me. Yes, that's exactly it. Because Kathy Freeman, because <laughs> Kathy didn't cry yes. or break down or which I think everybody was hoping in the, in the stadium. There was going to be some outpouring of emotion from Kathy, And there was nothing. Nothing. Steely. Nothing. And so I'm thinking, I, I can't. You can't cry. I, I can't <laughs> cry. But then I looked across to Lorraine and I thought, well, Lorraine's been crying for 90 <laughs> minutes now. So you know what? Kathy will have a moment in her own time with her own family, I'm sure. But no, I just kind of, you can't help it. You're standing there looking at a flag. Oh, I'm going to go again. You stand there looking at a flag thinking, that's mine, that is. That's, yeah. that's my, and I knew nobody could ever take it off me. Because I ran my whole 20-year career clean and I had nothing to hide, I knew that this was it because no one can ever take that off me. And that feeling in itself is like, wow, the relief, the relief is just, is, 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 it's emotional, Jonathan, it's emotional, yeah. yeah. 
did he talk to Kathy Freeman at all, either immediately after the anthem or, or behind the scenes? Oh, God, yeah. Kind of, oh, well, that, that, that was all right, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, you chat away because you, you, run, you go through a, um, an organised system. Um, as you guys know, you'll run a race, you'll either be allowed to do a lap of honour or not, then you'll go through a mix zone and you'll talk to the broadcasters and then you'll go into a press conference. So literally you're on a top table, you're answering all the questions, then you'll go to the drug testing. Then they had a little family room, so we're all sitting there. So we had plenty of opportunity to talk to each other. Kathy's family came into the back room and I was introduced to her brothers and the rest of her family, which was lovely. So we have a lot of time to chat and yeah, me and Kathy were there a couple of times I'm like, you're right. You're, you're okay. And she's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Still not sunk in, Jonathan. It, it, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask Kathy actually when it sunk in for her, because yeah. I just get the impression that it didn't sink in for Kathy till a period of time afterwards, because the wall was up, the emotion wasn't there. But I can guarantee you, of course, there'd have been a time when it was like, woohoo, and she would have just broken down with pure relief and emotion. She was probably thinking of a day trip to Horsham. That's probably what it was. That's understandable, yeah. It's understandable. It, it just strikes me, Kath, that, you know, to have been involved in one of the most iconic moments in Olympic history, because that's what we're talking about here. Do you still just think, oh, my gosh, I was... I was part of that. Yeah, hundred percent, Sanj. Hundred percent. It's it's when you look. It's when you look back on something. I haven't watched the race um, for a while now because I've had no reason to. Um, you know, the last time I watched it was when I showed my kids when they were at the certain age that so they could actually appreciate it, and they didn't um, because, as my son reminded me, well, I didn't win, and I looked like a man. So um, cheeky. I, was, cheeky. I, really, I need to really, take that soft toy was, away from him. That's cheeky. I, I threatened, Sanj, I threatened. I said, listen, unless you want to lose the mascot, son, fix it up, because that's not what mummy was running for. I, I was there to do I was there to do you proud. I didn't even know, that, know you then. So, no, it was, I haven't watched it for a while. Um, but, yeah, when I watch it back and you think, gosh, was that really me? Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like it was somebody else because it was a, a different lifetime ago. But I just think it's testament to the race itself. You're right, Sanj, we're 20 years later and we're still quite rightly... I'm mentioning and talking about one of the most iconic Olympic races ever. You know, Kathy's got a film coming out about it actually oh, in se- in September, um, which I've obviously had to contribute on in terms of you know having an input into it, which is nice. So there's this big film coming out about it and everything around it and the lead up and, and post race. Um, and I think that sums it up because you're doing something about a race that let's let's not forget was twenty years was twenty years previously. That's how that's how big a deal it was. And for all of the reasons that you've mentioned, it was just perfect. It was just a perfect moment in time that was just delivered and executed wonderfully by by an athlete who deserves all the the legendary status that she should have. I love the fact Kath's son comes from the winning at all costs <laughs> camp and nothing else matters. I know. So I'm, you, I'm trying to get him out of it, Jonathan. And I, I, I tried to Gold get, is everything. Well, you I, won't be there when he wins silver at something, <laughs> Kath, will you? You'll remind him of that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So that's what's funny now, Jonathan, as a parent. You know, my children are now nine and six. And mm. My son is, is, is very competitive. Um, <laughs> Sounds it. <laughs> yeah, and I try to get that out of him. 
because it, it, it and I try the lines of it's the taking part that counts and he even looks at me now and he goes no it isn't mummy and I said no it is son you can't you can't win all the time mummy didn't win but she tried her best and that's all you can do and he gets it but he's very he's very competitive I'm not really quite sure obviously where he gets it from <laughs> but um no you have to um you have to you have to kind of try and direct them in the right way and uh yeah but mummy didn't win so there you go I'm not I'm not I'm not you know I'm not the most uh uh, the uh, most famous person in my house because I didn't win apparently so never mind you know there are a lot of athletes when they retire they go and they have to find the next fix don't they whether it's taking up cycling or you know you look at Dame Kelly Holmes and and she could she looks like she could run an Olympic final tomorrow now I'm not saying Kath that you couldn't don't please don't get <laughs> me wrong but you've got a sweet tooth haven't you oh Gosh almighty. You know what it is, Sanj? I think you, you, you have to be yourself first and foremost. I don't think you can go through life pretending not to be because that would be very tiring. But I, I, you go one way or the other when you retire. You either have to keep doing it because it's all you know. You have to keep doing it because it's who you are. You have to keep doing it because you love it. And none of the above apply to me. Do you know what I mean? I have no interest in in keeping fit, rightly or wrongly, and I pr- I probably should do, but I just really can't be bothered. So I which don't. Is, which I love that. I just love that. <laughs> I don't. I'm not. I'm not, inter- I'm not. I'm not interested in that. And if I have a reason to get fit, then I will have, and I will get fit. But my life's busy enough and I've got no interest this week alone I've eaten fried chicken a Chinese and far too much cake and <laughs> I, I, I'm rebelling I'm rebelling Jonathan I'm rebelling from the, the, the disciplined years of track and field and I'm still rebelling 15 well, years you've, after you've retiring well you've moved to the classic broadcaster diet so you know oh, this is absolutely that. perfect for the, the second there phase you of, of your life because you should be in Tokyo right now Kath you should well you should be on oh. the way anyway to, uh, to, to be the, uh, the announcer in the stadium right yeah, I've been wow, very what a lucky gig. to. Yeah, it, it is, and well, let's just hope it actually happens next year. You know, we kind of—I think we all agree—it's kind of fifty-fifty at the moment whether the Olympics and Paralympics are even going to take place next year. But no, I, I was very honoured to be asked last year in Doha for the World Championships to be the first ever female commentator in stadium. They'd never had one since 1983, um, so that was an honour for me to do, and I enjoyed it immensely, of course. And then, yes, I was. Um, supposed to be doing that female role as a commentator in stadium for the first time in Tokyo for the Olympics and hopefully I'll get the chance to do that but it will just be you know next August rather than this year but it's it's it's, it's a pleasure Jonathan you know all of us work in sport and all of us work and witness some of the greatest moments that sport has to offer and it's an absolute privilege and it's not something I take for granted um, and I make sure I work hard at any opportunity that I'm given because I'm fully aware that it's a privileged position to have. Yeah, and, and we miss it though, don't we? Oh. We do. 50-50. You really, you really think it's, uh, it's that, uh, that tight? Yeah, I do. And that's, that's just my opinion mm. from what I read or what I hear. And I just... I just feel for the athletes, guys, because I tried to put myself in their position recently and think, well, what would it be like? Imagine if this was Sydney, Sanj. Imagine if this was in the year 2000. Oh. You know, it's, and then all of the, all that transpired wouldn't have taken place. And how tough is that for our, you know, our athletic stars? You know, Mondo Duplantis, the form of his life in the pole vault indoors has been, has been halted. Dina Asher-Smith, all these people and the athletes with their dreams and goals are... It's a tough one, and you're totally in no man's land at the moment, which is really hard. 
Kathy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Amazing memories. You're very welcome. Good to catch up with you guys. It's nice, guys. I promise yeah, you, it's nice good. to be able to to talk to people outside of, you know, Egyptian mummies and phonics. It's, <laughs> it's fabulous to uh, it actually daddy on daycare just for a, just for an hour and just say, control our children, please, and keep them quiet. Nice. No, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you so much. <laughs> So there we go, Catherine Merry. What a story to tell. I mean, you know, she's got half of her life ahead of her, Sonia, and yet she's done so much already. And as she says, she's always... You're never going to be able to take that medal away from her and you're never going to be able to take that experience away from her. Oh, when she said that, when she said, you're nev- I'm, no one's ever going to be able to take that medal away from me, you know, she was getting a little bit tearful she during was, yeah. that conversation as well which just goes show even 20 years later despite the fact you know mum of two and doing the homeschooling and and the you know the reality of modern life right now um she was suddenly back in that stadium wasn't she and just mm. how much it meant to her i just don't want to be there at sports day when her son finishes a <laughs> narrow second oh my goodness <laughs> Anyway, Sonia, we will uh, we will hear from you again later in the series, I'm sure. It's been great. Bye for now. So that's it for episode two of Sport and the Feels. And hopefully you're coming along on the ride with us on this uh, because that's what sport does, doesn't it? It gives us the feels. It churns away with our emotions inside. And really, the Olympic Games, there's nothing better for stirring the sporting soul. So make sure you subscribe. Claire Balding and Mark Pugach were with you on episode one. Uh, make sure you get that if you didn't hear it. We've got a treat lined up for episode three and indeed the rest of the series. And we'll be back with you again soon. In association with Aldi UK, the official supermarket partner of Team GB. Sport in the Fields is a 94-19 independent production.